Good morning. It's good to see everybody on this uh, hot summer day. Be careful of what we wish for, right? If you don't mind, I'm going to have a chair up here today. Is that okay? <laughs> okay, don't get too excited. I don't know how long I'll sit in it. <laughs> I'm going to try to be calm today, all right? Calm nature, that's not normally my MO. If you're a guest of ours today, my name is Rick Swing. I'm the executive pastor here at Westwood, and I'm sure Kenneth, who's gone to Disney with like 1,200 kids, um, don't know how he does it, but uh, he's at Disney, and I'm sure when he looked down the bench to see who he could put in the game, okay, Jared's gone on, on with his students, <clears throat> Rick Callahan has just has been gone all week on vacation, just got back, Topper Reed has gone on vacation, and then there, I'm, I'm sitting there alone on the bench. So you get me today because I was the only one left to be put in. So uh, it's a joy to be able to share from God's Word this morning. I got some good news. Can I share some good news first? Some of you all know this, but if you don't, uh, Linda and I are going to be grandparents before this year's over with. Amen. I can't wait. I had fantastic grandparents in my life. I mean fantastic grandparents that showed me Jesus at a very young age. Um, my dad and my mom have both been wonderful grandparents to our kids. And, um, and I'm going to be, hopefully and prayerfully, a wonderful grandparent to our grandchild coming in December. Someone asked me, he said, well, what are they going to call you? Like everybody's got their pet name, you know, right? Like Kevin, I think, is Governor. No lie. I think it's governor. I think it's kind of cool, personally. Got to be a worship guy, though, to be called governor. And um, so I think I'm going to be called coach for obvious reasons. And then somebody said, well, what happens if, if they're going to give you their own name? Like, they'll come up with your name. It's called leadership, y'all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they are going to call me coach one way or the other. That's what it's going to be. But uh, I appreciate you praying for us as uh, that new one comes. We're going to be excited. And I'm sure you'll hear more stories from this platform at some point about it. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to focus on the last um, three verses of that chapter, um, verses 35 through 38. So as you go there, let me just share a story with you. This was way back when, this is probably 1995 or 96, I can't exactly remember the year. I was a student pastor at Park Place Baptist Church in Pearl, Mississippi, right on the border of Brandon and Pearl, which is just a suburb of Jackson. You go south out of Jackson, like you're coming here, and um, like you're coming to Birmingham, and you'll run through Pearl and run through Brandon. And I was a student pastor there, and every Tuesday, <clears throat> every Tuesday, I would take, I would go by Taco Bell, and I'd get me, I don't know if they still do it, but because I don't eat Taco Bell anymore, just saying. I would go by Taco Bell, and I'd get, they'd have this 20-pack of tacos. So you get 20 tacos. I get two of those, so I would have 40 tacos every Tuesday. I would go to Pearl High School, and I'd take 40 tacos into Pearl High School in the cafeteria, and I want you to know that I was a wanted man in that, in that cafeteria. I would gather a crowd. And a crowd would come around, and of course, all the students in our student ministry knew, that went to Pearl High School, that every Tuesday I was going to be there. So their job was to get friends, people that weren't in church, teenagers that weren't going someplace, and bring them on Tuesdays 
to get a free taco. So all the new ones got free tacos, and whatever's left over went to everybody else who was out there. So every Tuesday, I was introduced to new people and new faces along the way. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we grew our student ministry so crazy so fast, because our students were all involved in bringing their friends. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> well, I actually forgot, but then I was reminded of this young man, but it was a young man by the name of Luke Woodham who was introduced to me. He was probably a freshman or sophomore, I can't remember, 14 years old. And he was introduced to me, and Luke was like a number of, I mean, Pearl High School was a huge high school, so there was a number of kids that kind of came by and I was introduced to. I can just, it was, I don't know exactly what I said to Luke because it was so long ago and there were so many kids, but I always said this to the kids. Listen, we would love to have you come on Wednesday night so you can hear the most important message in all of mankind. Many times I would share my own testimony or I'd get one of the students that was in my student ministry to share their testimony of what the impact that Jesus had had on their life. Well, <clears throat> I moved here to Birmingham and so, you know, that ministry was behind me. I was another ministry, student ministry here at Shays Mount Baptist Church. But I'll never forget getting a phone call on October 1st, 1997. See, what happened is that young man that I tried to make a difference in, that young man killed his 50-year-old mother. After killing 50-year-old mom, he took that rifle and he marched into that very same cafeteria that every Tuesday I'd bring tacos. And he opened fire and he killed his ex-girlfriend and his ex-girlfriend's friend. Killed those two in a cafeteria. You know, when that happened, it was so, we all were so stunned. Now, almost weekly, we hear of things like this happening within a school system in which we say, surely our kids are protected, right? Surely, how could anything happen? And we always ask the same questions, especially this year. I don't know if you know this, but we've had 22 school-related shootings this year alone, since January. Down in Florida, I think 18 People were killed. Just not long ago in Texas, there was another 10 that were killed. And we always ask these same questions, why and how? Why would anybody do anything like this? And how could somebody be so heartless and lack so much compassion in their life that they'd be willing to take somebody else's life? So we ask these questions. <clears throat> and then I'm reminded of a verse in John chapter 16. And here's Jesus and he's speaking and he says this. He says, in this world you will have trouble. Absolutely. We experience it today. But he then goes on to say, but take heart because I have overcome this world. I have overcome this world. See, the answer to what's taking place in our culture today isn't in psychiatrists. It's not in programs. The answer lies in the person of Jesus Christ. Period. Because he died for all the junk that we experience today as a culture. He died for all that. So Jesus is the answer. Our world needs to hear and needs to know that there is a hope. That there are people who genuinely care about their needs 
and what's going on in their life. Max Lucado, many of you know him as an author, but I don't know if you know that he's actually a pastor as well. He's got a very large church down in Texas. And Max Lucado wrote these words. He says, for years I thought my assignment or the church's assignment was to articulate the gospel and nothing more. Now I believe that if we don't support the verbal expression of this gospel that we preach with a physical demonstration of compassion that we are not imitating the person and the life of Jesus. I want you to know he is exactly right. The only way this world is going to understand the hope that we have is unless we express that hope. So Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Let me read verse 35. We'll start there. It says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Now, if you've read through Matthew you may have said, you know, I think I've heard that verse before. And you have. So if you would, turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So here's Jesus. He's beginning his ministry on this earth. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23... It says, Jesus was going all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Exactly what we see here. So here's Jesus. He begins his ministry with this sense of urgency in that my job is to go and teach and preach this good news of the gospel. The kingdom to come. And in the meantime, while I'm doing that, I'm going to heal every physical need and every disease that I come across. And that's what he does. And we come to chapter 9, and things haven't changed. In fact, his disciples who have been with him during this time are learning firsthand the mission that they're going to be called to. And by the way, their mission and our mission is the same, is to impact this world. But we're going to make an eternal difference. That's our mission. That was the mission of Christ. That was the mission of his disciples. And that's our mission as well, is to make an eternal difference in this world. And so if you go to chapter 10, right after this, you can see that Jesus commissions the 12, his apostles, to go out and do the very same things that he's been doing during this time. To teach, to preach, and to heal every disease and every physical ailment that's there. He commissions them to do all that along the way. So here's Jesus. He went into all the towns and villages teaching and preaching and healing. Our mission, make an eternal difference. How do we do that? Number one, we provide hope where there is no hope. We provide hope where there is no hope. You need to engage, listen to me, in spiritual conversations. 
We're so quick to excuse the idea that my neighbor wouldn't be interested or my friend wouldn't be interested in any kind of spiritual conversation because they're not spiritual. We assume these things, right? We don't know for sure unless you've had that kind of conversation. Jesus had these spiritual conversations that were teaching. Here's Jesus. He's teaching in these towns and villages. That word teaching in the original Greek language, and by the way, if you don't have the blue letter Bible as part of where you go, if you study, you can go it on the website, blue letter Bible. It's a great resource. You type in the, the passage of Scripture. It will come up. There will there'll be words there. Just the, click on it. I'll tell you what the Greek word is and what the meaning is. The Greek word for teaching, the meaning of that is to have conversation with others in order to instruct them, to guide them, to lead them down a path. That's what Jesus was doing. He was teaching. He was engaging in spiritual conversations. And you may say, well, Rick, I don't understand what that actually looks like or sounds like. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. So let's just say you have a new neighbor that comes in the neighborhood. And you're in your front yard, and you see them working in their front yard, so you go over. There's a guy, he's mowing his grass, he stops, he says, hey, you introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Rick Swing. I'm your neighbor right over here. It's good to have you in the neighborhood. So you have this general conversation. Oh, are you an Alabama fan or are you an Auburn fan, right? we got to get that one out of the way. Because we got to know whether we're going to like you or not like you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can leave that one out. You can ask them if they're a basketball fan. How about that? That will be a short conversation here in this state. So you have this little small talk. This is how easy to have a spiritual conversation. They're new in the neighborhood. You may say something like this. Let me ask you a question. Where did you come from? Right? Uh, we came from Tennessee. Came from Nashville. Well, great. Fantastic. Well, did you go to church in Tennessee? Did you have a church home when you went to church in Tennessee? Y'all, that is a spiritual conversation. Did you have a church in Tennessee? They're going to answer one of two ways. Yes, we had a church. Or what? No, we didn't have a church. If they answer, yes, we had a church, it's a win-win. Fantastic. If you're looking for a church home, let me just invite you this coming Sunday to Westwood. We would love to have you at our church. If their answer is no, it's still a win-win. Right? Well, listen, I don't know if you've ever been to church, if you've ever grown up in a church, but we would love to have you. We'd love to invite you. We've got this big fireworks thing that's coming up. Man, it's easy. We'll have a picnic on the grounds, and, and we'll do fireworks. Bring your family. You introduce them to spiritual things. Jesus, wherever he went, was having these types of spiritual conversations with those he came in contact with. 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16 says this, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, set him apart. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That word hope there literally means, I mean, it's so good. That word hope literally means joyful, a joyful expectation of eternal salvation. That's the hope that we carry as Christians, right? So we have to be ready at any point in time to give a defense of that which we have joy about, which is our salvation. Now listen, that's not a suggestion, it's a command that Jesus says, be ready, be ready. And then the second thing that Jesus did, he went about preaching. That is telling your story. Tell your story of God's grace and of his salvation. Tell your story. 
That word preaching literally means proclaiming with urgency and with authority. You know, telling your story um, isn't difficult. In fact, in Acts 1, here's Jesus. It's his last kind of, the last words that he gives his disciples, his apostles, before he goes off to heaven. So here's Jesus. He died at Calvary. He was raised again on the third day. Now he spent several weeks meeting with people face-to-face in the flesh so that there would be this testimony about this risen Savior that's going to spread across the world. And he tells his apostles, he's got them there together, and they're, they're right there, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, and he says this in Acts 1-8. Jesus says, but you will receive power, you apostles, you, when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. You'll be the one who will tell the story of me. Tell people my story of why I came to this earth and the miracles that you saw, the miracles that you did. You tell them my story and you tell them your story. You tell them why you gave up your livelihood, why you gave up your friends in your town to follow me. You tell them that story. And by the way, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, every one of you has a story to tell. Right? We've got a story to tell. I probably shared this before, but I'm going to share it again because it, it's just still embedded in my, in my brain every time I go by Walmart. Um, there's a Walmart by our house. I live in Vestavia up there on the mountain. So at the bottom of the mountain, there's Walmart on Lakeshore. By the way, that's how you determine where you live is the closest Walmart. So <clears throat> we would go down to Walmart, and every day we'd go down Lakeshore. On Saturday, I'll never forget the first time that I saw this. It was a Saturday. I'm driving by the front of Walmart there on Lakeshore, and there is a guy, an African-American man, age, he's probably in his 70s, 60 or 70s, and he's got this big old van sitting out there on the side of the road. Anybody ever saw that? Unbelievable. So he's got these big old speakers, and he's got these signs everywhere about Jesus and his love, about repenting, right? Honk if you love Jesus. I'm honking I go by, thumbs out, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you go get them, buddy. You go get them. Well, I went by there several times, and my curiosity got to me. I'm fixing to stand up. I'm going to sit. <laughs> I'm getting too excited. I'm going to calm. Okay. My curiosity got the best of me. I, I mean, I'm an evangelist at heart. I really am. I love to tell people the story of Jesus and how he can change lives, how he's compassionate and he loves you. So I stop, and I pull off the side of So I'm coming out of Walmart. I'm taking a right like I'm going back to the interstate. I just pull off the road right where he's at. I just pull over, and I get out. And I go to talk to this man. So he's up there preaching away. He stops. He looks at me. He says, hey, man, how you doing? I said, man, I'm doing great. How you doing? He says, man, I'm in the best place in the world. He says to me, he says, hey, man. He says, what do you do for a living? He's wanting to have a what kind of conversation? A spiritual conversation. What do you do for a living? I said, well, man, I'm a student pastor right down here at Safe Mountain Baptist Church. He goes, really? So he says this. He says, so you believe the Bible? Yes, sir. And you preach this Bible, right? I said, yes, sir. He hands me the, 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 the no, he didn't hand me the track. He handed me the, uh, the mic. He says, here. I'm going, whoa, whoa, time out. <laughs> I said, you mean right now? He goes, 
His words, his words. Never forget, he says, you do have a a story to tell, don't you? A story to tell. Yeah. Now, I didn't grab the mic. I said, man, this is your platform. I got another one. But you know what? In my heart, I went, that's exactly what Jesus was doing. It's exactly what his disciples were doing. They were telling the story. Every one of us in here has a story to tell if you love Jesus and he's made a difference in your life. And by the way, if you got Jesus in your life, he's made the biggest difference because you're going to spend eternity in heaven. So we provide hope where there is no hope because we engage in these conversations and we have a chance to tell our story. Number two, do compassion. Don't just talk about it. In other words, talk is cheap. Do it. Do compassion. That means you have to be present. Physically be there. Look at Jesus here in verse 36. It says, when he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, now listen, to see the crowds where you have to be, you got to be there. And think about Jesus during this time. He had crowds, y'all, following him everywhere. Why? Because he was healing the sick, taking care of diseases. I mean, people had leprosy all over their body, and they were going to die. And here's Jesus, literally. He could speak it away. He just puts his arm and says, man, you're clean. The dude walks away clean, no leprosy. The blind, he makes see. The lame, he makes walk. In fact, in chapter 9, all I have to do is look at it. It's just him doing miracles. In fact, in chapter 9, right here, before we get to this verse, there's somebody who dies. We're not talking about Lazarus. It's another one. He goes and raises that child up. So there's these mass of crowd that are coming around Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I get tired, right? I mean, day after day after day. They're following him and they're needy. They're weary. They're worn out, it says. Do compassion. Be present. Number two, be prepared. I put here, just do something. You know, you don't don't have to give a million dollars. But you can do something. Do something. Be prepared. Be present. Be prepared. It says in there that he felt compassion. Jesus felt compassion. That word literally means from from his bowels. From down in deep here, he felt sympathy. And he felt pity to the point that he was going to take care of their physical needs. Down here. Have you ever felt like that? You know, my wife, she loves dogs. Okay? I mean... Loves dogs, I think, sometimes more than she loves me, okay? You know those commercials they have on TV that want you to give to the Humane Society, whatever it is, because these dogs are, are, I mean, it's horrible, y'all. She makes me turn the channel. Because in that instant when she sees that hurting dog, that helpless dog, in her gut she feels this compassion and this pity. In her gut, it makes her physically sick to see that. We're coming out of Target there off of Lakeshore Drive not long ago, and we're getting ready to turn left and go up towards um, Brookwood Hospital to go home. So we come out, and as soon as we take a left, we notice that there was this 88-year-old woman, no reason we know that, because I think Linda asked, who was walking with the walker up the hill, y'all. I mean, up the hill, by herself. And I mean, I mean, Linda just slaps me, just bam, slaps me. She goes, stop, stop. From her bowels, from her gut, she had pity, she had compassion. And as soon as we pulled over, another person pulled over. 
And we found out that this lady had just gone to the doctors right there at the base there. She got some x-rays done or something. She was from Warrior, 88-year-old woman from Warrior. She was dropped off by somebody, relative, friend, I don't know. But they failed to pick her up. And she was walking home. Walking home. Have you ever felt that compassion deep inside of you, this it's just kind of in here. That's what Jesus was feeling. In John, 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, This is how we have come to know love. That he, meaning Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17, if anyone has this world's goods. In other words, if you have means, if you have stuff. And by the way, if you've ever been to a third world country, you all, every one of us in here is rich. It says, if you have the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? It says, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Jesus looked among the multitude and they were weary. They were worn out. And he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He saw the, the crowds. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected. They were weary. So sometimes I ask myself, okay, so is there a difference between love and compassion? Well, this is a teaching moment for us. Is there a difference between love and compassion? You know, at first when I asked myself the question, I was like, oh, no, there's not a difference. It's the same thing. Then I read some stuff. And here's one of the things I read, and I have to agree with this. It says, love is personal. It's messy. Amen? If you've got teenagers, you know it's messy. If you've got a spouse, okay, won't go there. All right. <clears throat> when the one you love is happy, we are what? We're happy, right? When the one you love feels guilty, betrayed, or grieved, we feel what? Likewise. Parents, spouses, children, friends, all of these relationships exist because of interdependence. Absolutely true. They fulfill our needs, and we fulfill their needs. Thus, love arises from a sense of self. Now, Jesus was able to do everything perfectly, right? Unconditional love. You know, there's sometimes that we struggle with that unconditional love. But Jesus was perfect. So then what is compassion? Compassion is selfless. It can be impersonal because it can exist without any relationship at all, right? My wife, she sees these dogs that she never met before, or the dog that was on TV the other day, they had the arrow right here. Y'all see that on the news? Shot with an arrow in his head, all right? Now, the dog lives. It's a happy ending, okay? Happy ending. Praise God. My wife, she would be in, in the hospital right now, all right? So, so right here, she has a relationship with that dog, but she really doesn't have a relationship with that dog, all right? It's totally impersonal. You can, you can, Absolutely have compassion on the homeless and visit the shelter weekly. But to say you love them is difficult because you don't know them at all. And it could be a whole new group of people from day to day. That's absolutely true. If you've ever been down to the homeless shelter, sometimes you'll see the same people. Many times you'll see new people. So to say you love them, maybe what you're really saying is I have compassion for them. The liberating thing about it being impersonal is that it comes without any emotional baggage. Compassion does not demand anything, listen, anything in return. Whereas sometimes love does, right? Fulfilling my needs, fulfilling their needs. 
Real compassion has to be unconditional. See, compassion is only felt when it is expressed. Not just to say it, but when it's expressed by doing it. Isaiah 58.10 says, If you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness. Whatever that afflicted one was, because you did something about it, your light shines in that whole arena. Because you bring hope when you do compassion. You know, this came to really light in a sense that you don't have to do much to show compassion. I was a student pastor up at Shays Mountain Baptist Church years ago, and, and I, we did something different with our seniors all year round. We didn't want to make them that senior year feel a little bit different than the rest of their experience in our student ministry. And one of the things that was exclusive there is, is we took them all to the Salvation Army. So I'd have 50, 60 seniors <clears throat> that we'd go to the Salvation Army during Christmas because at Christmas they would give out grocery bags to those who needed food, and they'd give out Christmas gifts to those who weren't going to have a Christmas. So we would go down there, and part of our job was to stuff the grocery bags and the, and the gifts, and, and people had a list of things they were getting. It could be a bike or get Christmas gifts. And my job, I was kind of the register, so I was at a desk. And there was a long line of people coming into the Salvation Army to get their stuff. And so everybody was supposed to be in this alphabetical order, if you will. So I was always sharing the person's name that was next on the list. And so I'm looking at the name that was next on the list. And I said, Yvette Crawford? Yvette Crawford. And all of a sudden there was this lady there, and she came forward. I said, are you Yvette? And she says, yes, I am. And then she began to, to, to cry. She began to sob. I thought I'd done something wrong. I'm like, oh, gee whiz, wrong name? I don't know. And so she was sobbing, and so I said, why don't we go over here and talk? Because I thought maybe she needed a spiritual what? Conversation. So I take her to the side. I didn't know if maybe Jesus had been working on her heart. Maybe people had planted seeds in her life. And I said, Yvette, what is wrong? And with broke, I mean brokenness in her voice, her lips were, were quivering, she said this. She says, I haven't heard my name spoken in over a year. I said, Yvette Crawford? She hadn't heard her name spoken in over a year. Can you imagine? Can we imagine? That Listen, I didn't know I was showing compassion, right? I was just doing my job. I spoke her word. For her, that was compassion because she hadn't heard her name spoken in over a year. Living on the streets of Birmingham by herself, hadn't heard her name spoken in over a year. Y'all, it doesn't take much, but do compassion. Do it. Number three, execute the plan. So here, verse 37. So after all this has taken place, all right, Jesus has been doing all this stuff, and, and he's been healing the sick, he's preaching, and he's teaching. And then it says he turns to his disciples during this little discourse. He turned to his disciples. So he turns to his disciples, and he says this, the harvest is abundant. He's probably pointing out to all the people who are gathered. The harvest, just look at the people out here, y'all. Look at his disciples. Y'all, they're hungry. They, they don't have clothes. They have needs. Look at all these people. They have things that they have to have in their life. Spiritually, they need a word, a good news from you. So 
he looked at the harvest. He said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. You have to understand your role. To execute the plan with confidence and purpose, you have to understand your role. You are a worker. That's what Jesus says. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Disciples, you are workers. If you've got Jesus in your life, you're a worker. That worker literally means one who does. Not one who talks, (laughs) but one who does. That's what a worker is. You've got to understand your role, and you have to pray for those opportunities. That word harvest that Jesus speaks about, it means to reap. Don't ever forget that the Lord is the one that does the harvesting, y'all. Hear me. Our job is just to be a worker in the field, to show compassion, to teach, to preach, have spiritual conversations, tell your story. That's our job. That's what we come to do, but it's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus' job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the heart of their lostness, that they need hope, that they need a Savior. So when you share your story, and you share the gospel of Jesus with somebody, and they turn to you and say, man, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. I want nothing to do with it. And by the way, it's happened to me hundreds and hundreds of times. I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want anything to do with the church. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And by the way, there's another one right behind him who needs to hear. Because even Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 10 as he was preparing to send them off, he says, listen, if they don't receive you into their towns and their villages and their homes, if they don't receive this message I'm giving you that you've seen and you've heard, he says, dust off your sandals and move on. Because there is so many that the, har- the harvest is, is, is ready. It's plentiful. The workers are few. So you understand your role. You pray for those opportunities. Romans 10, 14, and 15 says, How then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How cool is it going to be one day to see Jesus face to face? And wouldn't it be really cool for him to say, not just, well done, my good and faithful servant, but for him to say, man, your feet, how beautiful are your feet, Rick, as you brought good news to those that are around you. You brought the good news to those that are around you. You know, it doesn't take much. Um, As you all know, most of you all know, I do a lot of counseling with with couples and premarital counseling as well. And there's a couple, they may be in this room right now, I'm not going to tell you who they are, we'll hopefully introduce them to you soon. But they're in my office, and, and I have these spiritual conversations. Now, listen, I got Bibles everywhere, okay? They're in the preacher's office. You kind of got to expect at some point in time you're going to hear about Jesus, right? Amen. So I asked them this question this past week. I said, I want your first response. I want what's in here. Whatever's in here, however you answer it, let it come out. Just whatever's here. And I asked them, I said, listen, if you were to die today, were to die today, where would you spend eternity, heaven or hell? Well, the young lady looks at me and she says, hell. But I want heaven. 
I look at him. He looks at me. Grew up in the church. Walked down an aisle at some point in his life. And he says these words. Well, I hope. I hope it would be heaven. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. Do you want to know for sure that you'd be in heaven? Yes. Let him be the Lord. The harvest is plentiful. We need workers to share the story. Simply to share the story. Here's the impact point. An eternal difference is only made when we put the love and compassion of Jesus into action. James would say to you, the book of James, he would say, you know, what good is your faith unless you put it into action? Faith without works, faith without doing, he says, is dead. Whereas your faith is useless. So as a body of Christ, not just Westwood, but as the body of Christ, let's do something that has eternal significance, eternal difference. If you ask me, Rick, what is your calling in life? I had a preacher ask me that once when I was going to a big church. We were hiring a student pastor. Rick, what's your calling? Tell you your calling in the student ministry. I said, I don't know if I've ever been called in the student ministry. Well, Rick, man, your, your ministries have grown and you've seen kids baptized. And I mean, how can you say you weren't called? I said, you know what? I probably won't be a student pastor for the rest of my life. This is my words to that preacher, well-renowned pre- preacher in this state. I said, God's called me to make a difference, an eternal difference in people's lives, period. Whether it's in a church, just on a sidewalk, if God called me to be a businessman, the mission is still the same, to make an eternal difference in this world. And you may be sitting out here today and you say, you know what, Rick? If you ask me that question, a personal question about whether I'd die, if I died today, whether I'd be in heaven or hell, I'm not sure where I'd be. Let me encourage you. We're going to have an invitation. Kevin's going to come, wherever Kevin is. Kevin, come on up. I want you to know that there is a Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you, period. He died for all your junk. He died for your entire life so that you could have a life with him in eternity in heaven. It doesn't matter what you've done. Trust me. I've been in enough prisons to know there's men in those prisons who've accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior Jesus has forgot and forgave them of all the junk. They're going to be with me in heaven one day. You may be weary like a, like a sheep without a shepherd and worn. I want you to know there is a peace that surpasses all understanding in the arms of Jesus. Simple. You may be sitting there today and you know what, Rick? I could do so much more for those that need a touch of hope. I just want Jesus to forgive me. Man, you can do that right where you're at. You can say, hey, Lord, forgive me. You may want to come to this altar here and say, hey, Lord, forgive me. Or, Lord, do something. Use me. Lord, forgive me. Or, Lord, what? Use me. Why don't you let Lord use you to make an eternal difference in those around you? We're going to sing. We'll get done. Take the offering. We've got to do that. And then I'm going to challenge you with this love lady. Some of you have already brought stuff. But let's make an eternal difference.